0: Warning, this podcast contains adult language and is not suited for children.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Squared Circle Sit Down. My name is Joe, and thank you again for joining us this week to discuss the world of professional wrestling. You can find the Squared Circle Sit Down on your podcast platform of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, or Stitcher. And we're also available on YouTube, where you can give us some feedback, like, comment, share, and subscribe. And with that, I'm going to turn things over to the host of The Sit Down. He is at the Lion Knight 42 over on Twitter, and he is my wrestling therapy buddy, Drake.
0: Man, wrestling therapy.
1: Definitely a good way to go.
0: So, uh, the last two weeks, we've been talking about some interesting stuff. Two weeks ago, we covered the concept of uh, cinematic wrestling. Wrestling as a staged show with a really deep uh, investment on the characters over the athletic uh, presentation uh, with kind of a stage scripted audience and uh, titles and characters where everything sort of revolved around the continuation of the overarching plot of the world. And then last week, we talked about the other end of the spectrum, which was wrestling as a sport, where we took a look at some of the differences that that would bring, which, you know, uh, brings us to things like the championships and how they're valued and character progression, uh, characters being treated more as athletes than specifically characters, and uh, uh, similar sort of concepts that you, you wouldn't see on a stage show. Today, we'd like to kind of bring that all full circle and we're going to be discussing shows that sit in the middle or at least try to do a balancing act, specifically AEW. Uh, There's a lot that we're going to have to go over from the inception of the company and the talent that created it to the talent who they've brought in and why they flourish in this environment where they may not have otherwise. Uh, We're going to take a look at some of the pros and cons of running a company this way and how it has kind of carved out its own particular fan base because of its ability to tap into both sides of the scale and is even now sort of playing the balancing act in finding ways to present its talent, its championships, and its matches in ways that keep the people watching invested
1: and entertained. Okay. So we mentioned for the first part with mainly WWE, how it is a stage show, how it is a show about a wrestling show. Right. And so you have characters slotted into roles that the company makes. You are hired to play a role. And then on the flip side, we talked about new Japan and how, Again, as you just said, the athletes are the forefront. The bell-to-bell action is the stories that are being told. And how you are hired to be you. You evolve and change over time, and that's the point of connection with the audience. So where is AEW in the middle? What do they draw from each? I think the comparisons from New Japan are pretty easy to see where the people are hired to be themselves. They are their characters, maybe a little more than just themselves as an athlete. I think maybe that's something to discuss there. But besides that, you are also looking, you talked about titles, you talked about, um, you alluded to wins and losses and, and things of that nature, where again, athletes care about winning and losing. In WWE, that wasn't always the case because it's more about the storyline. Sometimes the storyline that's not uh, bell to bell. It has nothing to do with what's happening in the ring. So where exactly would you draw these comparisons? Where would you draw these lines to say AEW's in the middle?
0: Whew. That is a hefty question to ask and really the first of a couple that I think we're going to be going over in this episode. It's almost hard to pin it down. AEW, even though they're, you know, at this point coming into their third year, they're they're in their third year, right? So AEW in its third year now has definitely had, I don't want to call it growing pains, but has kind of been learning as it, as it grows. And they've come a long way from the product that they first presented themselves as. Not how they presented themselves as before their first show, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, but in how they present their show now versus like episodes one through five. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But it does make it difficult to sort of pin down a lot of those specifics in that it is this ever-evolving, changing organism. However, that is in and of itself part of the the X factor here. Part of what makes a show that tries to sit on that sort of border between these two worlds is its ability to sort of pivot and lean more heavily one way or the other where it fits them and where it would best suit things like their character work and their their match ethic. Uh, And you see that with a lot of the people that they hire. One of the things that I'm looking forward to getting into later tonight is the idea of the characters who thrive in this company who really wouldn't have made it anywhere else or in some cases weren't able to make it anywhere else
1: well you the a word right there of characters so wwe clearly people are portraying characters like roman reigns is not uh joe anoi right like right. they are two separate individuals that curtain was pulled back once for a very legitimate reason and has been dropped right it's it's back he's playing the character of roman reigns and you could say the same for pretty much everybody in wwe whereas when you look at new japan it's well you know what's the difference between okada in in new japan versus okada in his house i, I don't know because okada is okada he is this guy who's a legitimate pro wrestler and he's one of the best pro wrestlers in the world I don't think any aspect of his character in New Japan, the character of Okada, that flash, that flare to his entrance and who he is, is so drastically different from who he is as an individual that cares so much about being the best that I I don't know where you draw that line.
0: Except for probably the balloon fetish. That's probably character specific.
1: Okay, well, that's fair. And and yeah, the, there's pieces of the character that I think you clearly say it's like, well, this was done as a creative choice versus, oh, this is a, a natural thing that happened with the person. And I'm just picking Okada because he's a pretty easy example. Sure. Um, but I think you could do that for a lot of people in New Japan. And AEW feels like, okay, they're playing characters. Like you, you can follow many of these people on Twitch, You can see them on YouTube. You can see them outside of who the character they're portraying to know, like, all right, Adam Cole isn't this asshole, right? He's just not. Neither is Britt Baker. Like, they're actually much nicer people. But when it comes to doing this, yeah, they're playing a character. Is she really a dentist? Yes, she's actually really a dentist. But, like, besides that, there is a line that is clearer, than it is in New Japan. It maybe isn't as clear as it is with WWE, where, no, everything you see on TV is completely fictional. These are not the same people. They are not representing the same things. Maybe with a couple of rare exceptions here and there of, like, something bleeds through. But besides that, it's AEW. Many things are bleeding through. Like, many aspects of what you see on TV have to do with that person in real life. They are that person. Just they are still playing a character, but that character is attached to them. You can't separate the two.
0: Yeah, you uh, uh, brought up Okado, which is a really good point. And I would say that one of the people who falls a little closer in line with what we see in like AEW would be a guy like Jay White, or even maybe Tanahashi, where they are these characters who can present themselves as you know larger than life, or as these very like traditional, like, pro-wrestling TV characters, but then, you you know, like, Tanahashi is the 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 once-in-a-century talent, and he's always on. And, like, no one really exists that way, and we understand that. And everything else about who he is and the way that he views things can be the same, but that one aspect is dialed up to 11 there. Or with Jay White, who, you know, is, by most accounts, one of the nicest, like, greatest human beings we've ever encountered but is this for the most part scum fuck cheaty manipulative piece of shit mouthy kid uh well maybe not anymore but was for a long time and you know that's that's just kind of how that works which you know is kind of unique in new japan because it pulls from the american pro uh uh kind of idea so with aew we see more of that kind of like you said that mixture of the two and there's a lot of characters we could talk about Darby Allen's another really good example of that where he's you know he no one's walking around with you know I like turtles face paint on all the time but you know the tattoos he has are still the tattoos he has the the like chain lock thing he's got around his neck is is like a shoot thing that's that's real his outlook on things is louder in his pro wrestling persona but it's still a lot of who, as far as we know, the person is. And part of what, what uh, to go back to what I said earlier, lets these guys thrive the way they do is because AEW as a product, because it sits like between these two worlds, permits their people, their talent, their characters to do that.
1: And I mentioned before we started recording the idea of an elevator pitch. And for people who don't know what that is, I'll just briefly explain it. An elevator pitch on elevator pitches, so to speak, of an elevator pitch is if you got into an elevator with somebody, could you explain something to them as quickly as possible before they got off at their floor or you had to get off at yours? So you want to hit all the main bullet points to get them to understand the topic as comprehensively as possible, as quickly as possible. And so elevator pitches can last 30 seconds sometimes. And I think you could make the case that for the vast majority of every character in WWE, you can describe them pretty comprehensively in an elevator pitch. I think even at the top, somebody like Roman Reigns, you could describe him as his history with The Shield briefly. Of he was, came up in 2012, member of a three-man group, got betrayed by Seth Rollins. The other one is now John Moxley in another company. He had a very mixed response baby face push where he eventually won the world championship feuded with Brock Lesnar over the course of many years. uh, Finally turned heel joined Paul Heyman created the bloodline. He's the rock's cousin along with the Usos. Bam. Here we are today. That's Roman Reigns. Now, yeah, there are other pieces to that along the way. I obviously left out a ton of details, but What do you really need to know about Roman Reigns that I didn't just say? Not much. And so when you go over to New Japan, and we talked about this last week, you can't elevator pitch their guys. You can't do that. Why? Because they are, some of them have been around for over 10 years, and they have so many nuanced details to who they are and how they operate that you can't describe it quickly. You can't comprehensively explain who somebody like Okada or Tanahashi or Jay White is in 30 seconds because they are more than just the sum of one or two matches. They don't do the exact same thing all the time. They grow, they evolve, and they change. And if you try to explain that very quickly, people will start asking questions about why. So when it comes to AEW, It's tricky, and part of this, I think, has to do with, like you said, they're a young company. Some of these people have only been around for a year on TV, and this is the biggest break they've ever had. So, yeah, you could probably elevator pitch them easily because there isn't that much to say. However, it is more difficult because some of the people have a longer history. Some of them have a history in New Japan. Where, as I just said, you can't quickly just go ahead and and explain everything very quickly. Like Kenny Omega is somebody like that. We just talked at at length about the whole Hangman versus Omega storyline that has so much baggage and history attached to it that you can't just explain this in 10 seconds. You know, and I think that extends to people even in AEW who have come over from WWE, who maybe they used to be an elevator pitch character. Now they're not. So it's tricky. I, I don't know how you would go about explaining that. But again, middle ground, right?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have... You've hit the nail kind of right on the head there. You you have a lot of these characters who you can definitely give a basic synopsis for. And people can sit down and watch their matches and be like, oh, I get it. But there's so much more that you will miss. Um, or maybe not miss. That's not the right term there's so much more that you will not fully comprehend until you know watching them for a month or four or six months even because they permit these people to be human beings which is i will say uh is super biased one of my favorite parts about their product is they're not afraid to let their characters even the like big ones be flawed and give them opportunities to grow and change Through those almost kind of organic means, which in turn creates really powerful emotional reactions from the audience, whether it be positive or negative.
1: Well, this brings us to where I teased last week, right, of the curious case of Cody Rhodes, where he is someone who represents both worlds. He's been a part of both worlds. He was born into a family that is wrestling. He is, you know, the son of Dusty. The grandson of the plumber and he is that guy who spent i still think the majority of his time still in wwe where he bounced around and played by their rules he played their game he played characters for years and eventually got told hey it doesn't matter who you are we have nothing for you and That's something that frustrated the hell out of him. And they said, you can take it or leave it. And he said, I'll leave it. And I'll prove that I can do this my own way. And he bounced around outside of WWE and Ring of Honor and Impact and New Japan and wherever else he touched. He became a bigger deal because of that. But now in AEW, and he is... Part of the roots of AEW, there's a part of him that is just inherently, for lack of a better term, screw WWE, right? Like, he's mad. He's angry. There's there's an anger at the heart of him. And I don't mean Cody Rhodes the character. It's,
0: It's the chip on his shoulder.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's Cody Rhodes the human being. This is not just Cody Rhodes the character. And so it's both. And that's what I mean with that line being blurred. And we've talked about Cody before about how he's getting these responses because the fans want him to turn heel and all of that stuff. But he is, an, in a weird analogy, he's in a, a Batman situation. And you know, Batman's whole thing is he doesn't kill criminals. He doesn't kill people. Why? Because... A part of him is the trauma of losing his parents, and he doesn't want to become that person. He doesn't want to take life. He wants to save life, and he will save life by not killing people and trying to get them, you know, put behind bars off the streets. Okay, Cody's now in the scenario where he, Cody Rhodes, he, Cody Rhodes, also the character, is, okay, I could turn heel. I could. and based on the presentation of everything, turning heel makes sense, you know? And and I don't mean that in just like, oh, he's a bad guy now, but like the whole point of this is wins and losses, right? And the grand prize of AEW is winning the AEW World Championship, which is something that Cody Rhodes, just on his own honor, said he would never challenge for again. So, and he's already been TNT champion twice, maybe he could go win the tag titles with like his brother or something. But like, besides that, the big prize that he's capable of challenging for, he's not because he's sworn his oath. Right. And he doesn't want to bury people the way triple H did. And he doesn't want to say, screw you. You have no opportunity like Vince McMahon does. You know, he's not one of those. We don't have anything for you and AEW people. So he teases these things he puts them in front of him with the sledgehammer and maybe using the pedigree and stuff and he intentionally doesn't do it because both the story that he's telling but also the piece of the character and who he is is look guys i'm not them look i'm not i promised you i wouldn't be them i know what they do and i'm not them but the fans are asking for that Much in the way that comic book fans for years have kind of sat back and laughed of like, yeah, but if the Batman killed the Joker, like, yeah, that's fine. Like, that's an acceptable one because the Joker's killed so many people. He's done this for such a long time. Like, it's okay, Bruce, we'd forgive you. But Bruce knows that if it were that easy, then he could just, well, where do I draw the line? Oh, the Joker is okay. But what about uh, the Riddler or the Penguin or somebody else? Like, oh, what if I just offed all the people that are a problem? well, now I'm a murderer. Now I'm a serial killer. And for Cody, he's teetering on that point. He's on that line where he could do this. He could start making some choices that will lead him down a path of, no, 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 I'm I'm the good guy. I swear, like, I would never do this. But it might make sense for him to do this. And the fans, I think, realize that. I think they see it. But I don't know if they realize what they're asking for. And I I don't know where this goes.
0: Well, so two things that I want to discuss that you brought up. Uh, the first one is, you know, with you're right. Cody's not burying people. And one of the big complaints that we see a lot about Cody Rhodes, whether it be, you know, fans that I talk to or people I see online, is the idea that Cody doesn't bury people, but he does take unnecessary wins. And, you know, there's a lot we can talk about. We could, and maybe one day we'll, spend a whole episode discussing Cody Rhodes and the wrestling theory behind whatever it is that's going on right now. And we've talked about it a bit earlier uh, in one of our other episodes where Cody has felt like one of those guys who's a WWE guy in a non-WWE program and his segments feel kind of bubbled and out of place and it's becoming more clear now as we see his like recent work where it is almost sort of a meta commentary, right? And it's this idea that, yeah, he did win the TNT title twice. Yeah, he has taken himself out of the world championship uh, chase. So now what? What do you do with this guy who is st- who was, at least until recently, still pretty over with a lot of the fans and was in a place where he could make or help build new stars. So he did take some wins that maybe he didn't need. He did create some situations that maybe weren't necessary, but he did. So maybe, and I'm not saying definitely, but looking at it now, it feels like a lot of that was just kind of that long term, long term, kind of that long term storytelling that we get from this company where it's, okay, we we know this is who his character is and who his character wants to become, and this is how we get there is by having these steps where it's like, yeah, but I'm not Triple H, but I'm not Vince McMahon, but I'm not the evil boss that's not who I want to be. And uh, the analogy made to Batman is really good also on two levels because much like with Batman, there are times in the comics where Batman will use the, the idea that he has made these rules for himself to excuse decisions he makes. He will do things that are not okay and go, it's fine because I have my code. So I know that it's going to be fine. Even when it's like everyone around him is going, Bruce, no, you can't do this. And, you know, Cody's had that recently and everything with Arn Anderson where it's like, you you got to just cut this bullshit out. And then the other thing is, Okay. But then look at the the few few times that Batman has killed people. One of the things that I like to bring up is, you know, Batman versus Superman. We had Batfleck who did, I don't even know how many people he has, like how many bodies he has on him, right? Just inadvertently from blowing people up. And a lot of those same fans who for years have been like, why doesn't he just kill these people? Just, just kill them. We're up in arms about it because at the end of the day, no matter how much you, you're you like, here's a solution, just take it, then you're not who you were. You're not Batman anymore. You're not Cody Rhodes anymore. You become a new character, a new persona within yourself. And so people who are watching you and who are cheering for you and who are rooting for you in whatever directions or ways they are, whether that be by pulling heat or by getting the you know crowd to pop, that changes too. And, you know, some of the people who hate Cody will hate Cody no matter what. Some of the people who hate Cody because they don't get it or because they do get it and just don't like it, they might come around. Some of the people who love Cody will not anymore. They will walk away from him because now he's a liar, right? Now he's he's turned his back on on everything that he said that made him different than Triple H. And some people are like, we love Cody. We will always love Cody and Cody's the guy and they will ride or die with Cody. And so I think it's really good that you made that particular comparison because it really does fit. And Cody is such an interesting case here in wrestling, in AEW, um, because like you said, him being you know the roots of this company, he's like so many of these guys who are presented with these opportunities kind of a lot in, in their own unique ways to continue being the character they want to be, lean into the parts that they know the crowd would want to see from them or, you know, find a a sort of middle ground to, to grow on.
1: Yeah. There's a a few points to that where I'll make a couple of very quick comparisons. Cause you mentioned the bit about the crowd. And I think that's the, the big part of this of people generally dislike Vince McMahon for a lot of reasons. There are, there are almost too many reasons to list of why you wouldn't like him, be it the character that he has portrayed on screen or the fact that he has like questionable businesses, business decisions, whatever the case may be, right? But there are people who will still cheer Vince McMahon when he arrives out of the blue because it's, oh, Vince, you built this, this thing that I enjoy, so I'm still going to cheer you and respect you for that. Then you have Triple H, where People generally look at Triple H in a positive light now, especially considering all he did with NXT, another reason maybe why they don't like Vince as much anymore. But for Triple H, for years, people hated Triple H, and not because he portrayed a villain on screen, maybe one of the reasons why they didn't like him. So back in the day, you had Triple H with the Reign of Terror, and where, oh, he's you know together with Stephanie, the boss's daughter, and so... He gets some creative control or he's in Vince's ear. So he was always world champion. That's why he has so many world title reigns and all that stuff. But you can look at that and say like, well, what do you want? What do you actually, as the audience, want? And I'm saying that lumping like everybody together, like they're one person. I I understand that there's like splinter groups of this. Much as you said about people being fans of Cody. So for Cody specifically, like, what is this about? What do you think this is about? Because I think it could be a couple of different perspectives. Where I think part of it is people, much in the way that Cody is that bitter, angry, resentful person because of his history with WWE. And he hasn't completely gotten rid of that chip on his shoulder, where even though AEW is successful, I think deep down, a part of him wants to put WWE in the ground. And I think part of the audience is looking at that and saying, yeah, we have that too. Like, some of us as fans share that point of view, and we want you to really embrace that. Not like as this this guy who's like, oh, I'm above it all, so I won't do it. No, 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 we want you to do it, and we want you to do it better, right? Like, play the character that will bury people the way WWE actually buried people. Tell us that story. Because maybe at the end of it, you get your comeuppance in a way that Triple H never did or Vince McMahon never did.
0: And to sort of tie this into the concept of, you know, the way that the show is being um, presented, you can do something like that have guys be momentarily buried by this, right? And still come out looking like absolute gold because of what you do with them afterwards. They're not so deeply rooted in the need to always come out with a win because unlike with these sports driven, uh, uh, productions, you can, even if they're counting wins and losses, you can take this loss, hold it. And, and again, If you have a reason, if you have a flaw, if you have a weakness, whether it be your drinking problem, your anxiety, your neck being made of tinsel, it doesn't matter. There are so many ways they can protect you while still doing that, telling that story, and not really hurting anyone in the way you would see otherwise. I I just wanted to throw that in real quick.
1: No, well, I I agree, and I think that's the point that I, I would say on that side of it. But I also do question if it is this this thing of either fans that just don't get it fans who are looking at this as like either this is an unrealistic character or it doesn't make sense i would do things differently or like the people who are clamoring for batman to kill the joker right they're clamoring for cody Rhodes to be the guy who's just like come on cody just do something different or maybe they're just the people who are tired of waiting where these characters are not set in stone the way they are in wwe right like These people are dynamic. They can change over time. And maybe it feels to these people that Cody is not changing or he's not changing fast enough that they look at it and they see it as a a disconnect to them of everything around you feels like it's moving at one pace and you're moving at a completely different one, either because you're an EVP or you're off filming TV shows or you're having a kid, whatever the case may be, it's not connecting at the right speed to connect with these people. So I, I don't know if it's, if I'd label that as they don't get it, maybe that's a different even group, like a third group, or the people that are just looking at it and saying, I don't like it. Maybe I do kind of get it, but it, I don't want to completely get it because I don't like it because it feels off. I don't know if if you see that personally, I hope it's all I know it's not all, but most of it is the former category of the fans that are just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But I do think there are enough in the other subgroups of people who are just tired of this or whiffing on it or whatever the case may be.
0: I think that... I think it's, it's way more complicated than can be really discussed in a short period of time. But without spending all night on it, I think the answer is yes. (laughs) I think that some of these things are all true. Uh, Even just going back to the beginning and talking about Cody as, you know, the promised prince. He's this guy from a wrestling royalty family that was never treated with the respect they deserved, whose father gave so much to the business and never really got what he deserved for it whether it be as an active competitor, as a voice backstage, as a hand helping, you know, navigate things for younger talent. Uh, I mean, there was a point, and now it's William Regal, but, like, there was a point where you couldn't talk to a guy who uh, uh, was a wrestler who wouldn't be like, Dusty showed me how to do this. The reason I played to the camera is because Dusty showed me to. The reason I say the things I say in my promos is because when I came in and I would cut my promos, Dusty would be like, this is this is stupid. Why would you say this? Say this instead. Because here's all these little pieces that make these things great. And even with all that, they just never really acknowledged him. You had his brother, who uh I mean, now is the first time we're really getting to see it. Well, not not now, but when a when AEW first started, we really got to see how much Dustin, even now in his like older age as far as wrestlers go really had in the tank and they were never interested in that. They saw this kind of weird gimmicky unique character that they could run with and they just ran with it. And even when he made the move to WCW who, you know, at least treated Dusty a little bit better sometimes, they were like we want you to do the exact same thing. And and it was it was really frustrating. So yeah, he he has a chip on his shoulder and he deserves to have a chip on his shoulder. He's he's earned it. With that said, the question becomes does he want that to be who he's remembered as? Even if like you're right, he he could be the Triple H character. He could do it better. He could pull the audience reaction from either side by doing that or by forsaking it completely um but does he want his legacy to be fuck you other guys or does he want his legacy to be more than that? And even that is, is something that you can't help but wonder if it falls into the character more than the person, because he's just on this whole he's dusty son. He bleeds carny shit, right? Cody Rhodes has to be uh, like, I, A name I don't like to bring up, so I try not to very often. But he's like he's like Jim Cornette levels of Carney, right? We can all we can agree on that, I hope. Where Cody just lives the Carney life. So he's committed so hard to this concept, whatever it is that it's gonna turn out to be. Um and it's definitely going to continue to upset some people, and there are gonna be people who don't get it. There are gonna be people who do get it. And I mean there might even be people who are like, oh, yeah, we get it. And then six months from now, you and I are having this conversation and being like, man, what complete idiots we were thinking this was leading somewhere, and it's just Cody being Cody. There's there's so many ways it could go, and for better or worse, I think it's one of the benefits of, of AEW as a whole is how it can be kind of difficult sometimes to see the direction these characters are going and even when you're not sure if maybe they're gonna pull it off, they generally do. Um, I would take a guy like uh, Orange Cassidy, for example. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot just for a second, if that's okay. Uh, but I would take a guy like Orange Cassidy. So there was a time in my life. It was long before AEW, but there was a time in my life where I I couldn't get behind the gimmicky stuff. It just did not do it for me. I I didn't care for it at all. And that's changed as a lot of things in my life have changed and my perspective of wrestling has changed. And AEW takes a guy like Orange Cassidy, who is, you know, shtick. He's he's a jokey, silly character. And they manage to take him and make something serious and something real out of him without breaking that character, right? Like, you have those moments when he's facing, like, Jericho or now in the, the stuff that he's doing with uh, the Elite where we see the human being behind Orange Cassidy, we see the like passion and the frustration and the, 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 the vim and vigor behind him. Uh, And it's, it's just more of that kind of evolution with Cody. It becomes, it, it all cycles back to that question of like, who do you want to be? Because you could be that guy with the chip on your shoulder. You could be the the guy who just who is his entire purpose is here to prove that he is better than you said he was. And not just that, but better than you are at at it.
1: Well, Yeah, I, I mean, I joked about it last week of like hashtag Cody did nothing wrong. And I'm not saying the guy's never done anything wrong in his life, but like both Cody Rhodes, the person and Cody Rhodes, the character. Uh, what are you really going to? poke at him for to be like oh i can't stand him because of this has he made questionable decisions sure but like overall he's a good guy he's cody Rhodes. the character is a guy who is honorable in the ring he doesn't backstab people he goes out there and he legitimately fights clean and has honored his word about what he said he was going to do cody Rhodes, the person is a guy who said hey WWE is this horrible place to work for so many people who have you know my family's legacy was disrespected other people have had their current careers disrespected let's take a bet on whether or not we can make our own thing work let's build this haven for people to come and have legitimate pro wrestling careers and he did that now, yeah, I, I also joke about the Cody Solve racism promo, but like, besides that, it's like, well, what he is, who he is as a person, and who he is as a character, even though they're very, very similar things, do not warrant the level of, ugh, I can't stand this guy, that he gets, especially compared to all the people that he surrounded.
0: I think that it's very easy after so many years of being sort of hard coded with other companies to look at the sort of direction that he's gone almost from the beginning and do the uh, and the eye roll. Because if any character had, and, and this is another part of another layer of this like meta character that Cody Rhodes is, if any character had done what he's doing. In the WWE, every single person that he's been up against and has finished the way that these things have finished would be dead in the water. Malachi Black, dead in the water. Pack, dead in the water. Even just from working with him, um, guys like uh, uh, Darby Allen, dead in the water. Look at—he had to—he he goes to a draw, and then he only can really beat him with like uh, uh out of the blue nowhere. Uh, figure four roll-up thing that no one's ever seen before like in another another time in another place no one's taking him seriously again for a while because of things like that and I think that's another layer of what we're seeing here with Cody where it's you know hey I can do these things I can be the WWE guy I can work the WWE style a lot of the time but it doesn't I can do it better than you guys do it doesn't have to ruin
1: them yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing of like that second group that I met of the people who are like, I kind of get it. I just don't like it. Right. Because I-, I can see that I can respect that point of view of this guy's kind of an obnoxious asshole. Right. He has more pyro than anybody else. He has a unique theme song. He's his entrances are over the top. Ridiculous. He Comes out dressed like Homelander. He's got the bleached hair, the really I, I, uh, almost offensively bad tattoo. And... Don't forget the time he was a vampire. Yeah, it, I mean, just... You can go down the list. The In terms of the in-ring stuff, stuff like you just mentioned, of he only loot seems to lose in these fluke ways. He takes a black mask from Malachi Black, and then he's up, like, less than three seconds later. Yeah, there's all sorts of things like that that he does. Even his entrance, again, like, everybody comes out one of the two tunnels. And, uh, which we could get into about like the whole baby face on heel tunnel thing, but he comes out through the middle with the over the top stuff. Like I get it. I can see where people would say, yeah, this is some natural heel stuff or even beyond the natural heel stuff. This is unlikable stuff because it's you as an executive using your power to do things that nobody else gets to do. I can understand that perspective but also still see it as, okay, this is Cody Rhodes doing Cody Rhodes things, fine, but maybe this is actually going somewhere. Like Maybe these choices are intentional, and as more and more people get to do things, he is becoming less and less special, and when that happens, I don't think the response has necessarily changed. He is still Cody Rhodes, he still is at that level, but it, it didn't warrant less cheers becoming these strong boos. It's usually you get more indifference in the middle of, oh, I'll cheer for you. It's like the, the casual golf clap versus the person that I really want to cheer for. But now it's just gone really strong in the opposite direction of, okay, well, now we hate them. And I, I don't get that as opposed to like this drop off. It's more just a straight down off a cliff.
0: So, for me, to, uh, all the time it's two things, right? So, for me, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Because, uh, and, and we're going to jump back for a bit to, to get forward again. Like we said, part of who his character is and the persona of his character is tied to a company that has, for the sake of the fan base, been labeled the enemy. He feels like a WWE guy. presents himself like a WWE guy he wrestles WWE matches so when you take him and you put him up against guys who are former WWE guys who didn't get the respect or appreciation that they deserved guys like Malachi Black you're gonna get those reactions sometimes when you put him in a company like AEW where they have such a huge emphasis on letting the crowd do whatever the fuck they want cheer for the heels, boo the faces, get down the middle. They, they're fine with that. You're going to get more of that. When you have a guy, sorry, when you have a guy who is doing these generally unlikable things, the fans are going to let you know. And I'm not surprised at the reaction from it. And I, I, on a level, because, like, I appreciate everything he's doing uh, as a persona, if this is a persona and not, you know, Cody is the most tone-deaf person in the world, but he did cure racism, so. Uh, we made that joke already. Anyway, of course he's getting booed like this. Of course he is. He represents, in doing what he's doing, he represents everything we we as a fan, like, as a group of fans, wanted to get away from. He, he's trying to desperately keep this position in a company where other guys are doing so much more. He's trying to, he's the guy who goes, please love me because I need that. But instead of saying, please love me because I need that. He says, Hey, look how cool I am. Aren't I cool? who the who likes that guy? who likes that guy? Hey, hey, I'm gonna do this tongue in cheek thing because, like y'all love that. that's kind of what we do here, right? So I'm the cool guy, right and And yeah, of course he's getting that sort of heat now, and uh, it's gotten to a point where there's it's very hard for me to believe it's not on purpose. uh, and wrestling fans are are myself included, sometimes pretty quick to pick something and commit to that and then kind of ignore anything else that's going on around it until until a payoff. And like you said, some of it is about being impatient. Some of it is Cody has been playing this... This character has been bringing himself to summation since the beginning of AEW. Like, you go back to his match with Nick Aldis... Uh, and you can be like, okay, so I I would say that barring one unfortunate moment in that match, it was a pretty good match. Unfortunately, it gets derailed. It was this really good opportunity for Cody to to win a title that really means a lot to him and his family, and to be this big proud moment. And even then, he had to, you know, he's gonna he's gonna bleed. He's gonna bleed. Great color isn't a bad thing, but it takes him how many minutes to get that set up, and then you have to make him the weak underdog guy how many times in that match. And he's got to like barely survive how many times in that match. Great. You can do that once. You can do that twice. But then it becomes every Cody match. Every Cody match, he has to be the hero who's overcoming and persevering and forget cheapening it. It, it becomes almost a mockery of the concept we cheered you sorry we cheered you because of what you stood for but now it turns out that you stand for it for you not for us you are living out your fantasies here you're dying to be john cena and we don't like john cena uh, that that's the mentality. Not commenting personally on John Cena, but uh, that's that's the thought. The thought is we don't want this all the time. It's not always exciting. It's not always interesting. If you're bleeding in every match, if every match you're in is some kind of huge gimmick match, uh, it's it's just not going to work to win the audience over because. This company has set itself up in a way where gimmick matches and big big moments and underdogs fighting back from, from the brink of oblivion are memorable, important moments. This company has positioned itself so that all of these in its presentation are moments in its history that we will be able to look back on and go, man, this mattered. But not when you do it. Not when you go through a flaming table against the guy who you've been feuding with for not very long, but it feels like eternity because you've had a thousand matches and it's kind of a runoff from a different feud that you didn't really resolve and don't really seem to be resolving anymore. And even that is, you know, hot on the heels of more of the same. We can't just always have you, you, you can't create a situation Where you create goodwill By saying alright guys I'm not going to be the main event I'm not going to be a big deal I promise I won't ever challenge for the world title I don't want to be that guy And then proceed to show us How you know Bullshit it is That's, that's the the perspective I see As to why fans can, can Turn on him the way they have uh, Because you know again uh, Tone deafness
1: yeah, and to that, it's he part of it is where he's from, and the other part is where is he going? Right. Cause he's from a family where his dad was that character. His dad was the guy who had to bleed to get to the top. And it was this hard fought battle because he was not the, you know, the chosen one. He he, he wasn't. He was the everyman. And he famously cut some of the best promos because he was somebody who said, hey, I am like you. I represent the audience. I represent the crowd. I represent somebody who doesn't have it all. But I will fight for it. I will fight for everything. And he got there. And then you have his brother who is this character actor who has invested so much of himself into the business that he's now beloved for it. And Cody is that guy who it very much feels like he changes himself to try to emulate those people. But he is the person who looks more like a John Cena. Yeah, he, he is that guy. He's somebody who is cut to be the pro wrestler. He is someone who would have been picked to maybe be a top guy anywhere that wasn't WWE. And with that legacy, when you have him in a company like this, I remember watching some of the early episodes of AEW with people who are not wrestling fans and they would look at some of the people and say, that's stupid. I don't get it. And then Cody came out and they said, Oh, okay. He's a star. He's somebody who looks like a pro wrestler. He's got the entrance of a pro wrestler and he carries himself like the top guy of a company. And that's amazing. And that's all credit to Cody. But then when you do cut him off from the world title, okay, he wins his feuds. Now what? He's going to go on to another feud, and he's probably going to win that one too. And then he goes on to another feud, and he's probably going to win that one too. There's no end to this journey. There's no reason for him to do these things.
0: Right. And one of the words that we've brought up a few times already is organic. AEW and this sort of balancing act between uh, stage show and live show, crowd show, whatever you want to call it, is organic. These characters are organic. They grow because they feel like they grow. They accomplish things that move them forward. Cody stagnates. He doesn't move forward. He doesn't grow. And when he portrays himself as though he has, it doesn't feel organic. Speaking of organic, um, because we could we could spend years and years and years. We we will. I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to make it definitive. We will spend an episode just talking about Cody Rhodes down the line. I can't say when uh, it'll happen, but I, I I'm willing to confirm that right now.
1: When Cody Rhodes changes, we can spend that time.
0: <laughs> right, like on the cusp. We'll have we'll have the like. Cody remembrance like memorial episode where we
1: talk about everything he's yeah, whenever doing. the hell that is a year from now, a month from now, whenever.
0: So, our but organic is really uh, uh something I want to focus on here because there's so many other major talents in this company who I think we need to discuss because of their organic growth. But before we even do that, we have to talk about the motivation. What? motivates these characters to have this growth? And the answer is Big Platinum, right? The AEW World Championship. So from the beginning of this company, from its inception, the, the World Championship title picture has, for the most part, felt very set in stone. We had the the whole thing with Jericho and Paige where a lot of people didn't really trust that this company was going to, you know, know what it was doing and was going to pull the nepotism card and put the title on a guy who clearly wasn't ready for it. And they were very happy, happy to prove us wrong. And then you had Jericho, um, who, you know, you couldn't have picked a better, a better first champion, uh, personal feelings about the guy irrelevant. You couldn't have picked a better first champion for AEW, and from Jericho we sort of could tell pretty pretty early on, uh, like when Mox beat Kenny Omega, you could tell Moxley was the guy. Uh, and by the time we got to like Jericho Moxley, it was very clear Moxley was the guy. And from the time Moxley was the guy, it was pretty clear because of the stuff we had had that laid groundwork with Mox and Omega, that Omega would ultimately be the conclusion to Moxley's reign. And it only got more apparent over time. And as things got set up with Omega Hangman, it became more apparent because you knew as you followed Hangman's journey, he could only be so far off. So realistically, we've we've had this trajectory that has been so clear up until now of Jericho to Monks, Monks to Omega, Omega to Paige. Now, well, there's there's still, you know, I would say MJF and Cody are probably the front runners for the next championship reigns but that can change a lot can change and things do change especially with some of the names that they've brought in since but even so we're now in a place where we are far less confident about what happens next with this belt with this championship and so it becomes a question of this company that's kind of been finding its balance and figuring out where it wants to be between cinematic and sport has this question of so far we have made sure as, as AEW to make all of our champions feel like the best in the world, right? Chris Jericho, absolute legend, undeniable. The things he's done for the business, the accomplishments he has, the accolades, uh John Moxley's another guy who was just absolutely on fire. He won the the PWI wrestler of the year I think the year he won the title, right?
1: Yeah, I believe that's right. Also, he's a peer of Roman Reigns.
0: Right. Yeah. He's, this, he's on that level. Yeah, absolutely. Kenny Omega, I mean, nothing needs to be said, right? This is a guy who love him or hate him is one of the best wrestlers of all time, definitely of now. Uh, definitely now with the information that he had to wrestle in rings that were just spinning in his head. But Kenny Omega, hands down, one of the best ever. And then you've got Hangman Adam Page, which is interesting. Hangman is a character with all the passion in the world and has spent the last however long from the inception of this company building and growing organically and, and proving himself as the guy who deserves to be here. And now he is, this is the culmination of so much that this company has done. And so now they have to decide if they want to be like a, they want to be a sports company. They want to be like new Japan and they want big platinum. They want it to be this huge, major crowning achievement That only so many people get their hands on. And it's a completely viable way for them to go. Because as we've seen with New Japan and also now with AEW, they can make stars and make guys feel like main event, big deal talent without coming anywhere near that title. They don't have to come near the title to feel relevant, to feel like they they matter. Or they can do something we've seen from them a decent amount in recent history and lean into the sort of American wrestling concept where sometimes the ch- the title exists to facilitate other... I don't necessarily want to say character growth, but other purposes, other means. You can have guys who maybe wouldn't win it under normal circumstances, right? Like, you could argue that even if MJF does win it, he could win it in a very American pro wrestling way. Even if he has a fantastic match and has some dirty finishes after he wins it that arguably devalue the belt a bit while still keeping him at the top. And I'm not suggesting this will happen, but they have this this just place that they are and have created where we don't really know what comes next. Uh hearkening back to our conversation about it being the end of Act One, uh back at back at Full Gear, where what they decide to do, especially now that they have all these big talents, your Brian Danielsons, your CM Punks, your Adam Coles, what you decide to do with your belt now, with your world championship, is going to say a lot about where your character's go from here organically
1: yeah and we've discussed this before where it seems so obvious that it would be mjf next and now you said cody and cody is another one where based on what's been happening with him he could pull that trigger and say you know what guys i'm gonna fight for the world title i'm going back on my word here i go and and he's the guy who beats hangman either way It's something new. It's something fresh. And to your point, it's the discussion of does the guy make the title or does the title make the guy? I said last week for New Japan, the title always makes the guy because it's held above. It's held above everybody. That is the be-all, end-all. And AW for the most part, walks that talk. They they say that. They mean that. It is the be-all, end-all. It is the thing where they put it on the guy Who is going to define that era, era is the wrong word, but that time period of AEW, where Chris Jericho, as you said, the absolute legend coming in, it's also the first champion, so you can kind of do whatever for that one. But then off to Moxley, who he got there because of wins and losses, then Kenny Omega, who got there because of wins and losses and now hangman Adam Page, who got there because of wins and losses. he. This is the story that they're telling, and they will continue to tell it in all likelihood through people earn it. People earn that spot getting there. And for MJF, it might be a thing of, yeah, he technically earned it, but everybody who watched saw that he cheated to get there somehow. But that's a whole other thing. But... Yeah, to your point, they could. Their roster is deep enough. They have those people who I don't think anybody would bat an eye if you said you were going to run some big tournament full of, like, 16 names or so and and put them all out there and said one of them is going to be your champion for, you know, if for some reason you have to strip Hangman Adam Page of the title. I think you have enough viable names that people would not, Mind seeing a champion, they would believe them to be a world champion in AEW. Now, to your point, part of that could be they're used to the WWE style of doing things. They're used to experiments and wins and losses not mattering, and people getting hot shotted to the moon very quickly. And that's something that I don't know if AEW wants to play with. I think they have an idea of how they want to do these things. And I think they are leaning closer to the New Japan style. I do think they want that championship to be held above everybody. And when somebody wins it, they're a made man, much like Hangman Adam Page right now. I also don't know who is the first person that's gonna hold that title twice. Who's the the person? Because it's not gonna be Jericho. I think you could make a case for Moxley. I think you can make a case for Omega. I think you can make a case for Hangman. And there's also, of course, the possibility that somebody who wins it in the future is the first person to win it twice. So I don't know where you go with that, but that's an intriguing possibility. It's an intriguing thing to think of. Like, maybe the first 10 champions are all one-offs. Nobody repeats because they just keep going. It's this person's time. Now it's this person's time. On to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. That's how we tell our stories. And in that doing so, you really elevate each one of those people and you also elevate the title because it's that damn hard to win.
0: And really, that's a story into itself as well. I agree with you that I think that they're probably going to settle closer to New Japan than WWE and how they see the title. Uh, the whole reason that I, I sort of uh, brought this concept up of where they go next is I'm I'm an avid Redditor, which you know is no secret. But there was an interesting question on R-Squared Circle where someone was like, who in AEW do you think is or will be AEW World Champion material, but will never get it. And, you know, there's a a number of guys on that list who I think come to mind. For me, I gotta say the first person is is Eddie Kingston. Um, Eddie Kingston is this really interesting sort of person and character and talent and whatever you want to call them in not just AEW, but in wrestling as a whole. Although, to go back and tell you the whole story of Eddie Kingston would, like we said for most AEW guys, take a long time. But just for AEW, if you look at the way that they've gone about treating him, right, he's very much been allowed to to use his career trajectory to speak for itself. He's allowed to take the lessons that he's learned, the disappointments and the failures and the rejection that have ultimately led him here to this company like so many others in AEW uh, and make that the motivator for who he is moving forward. In doing so, there's a lot of things that happen. You have a company that like we said, is very good at making major talent who don't need a championship. And Eddie's definitely one of those guys. Eddie could go his entire career in this company and, be over as hell the entire time and not once hold that championship. And you know what? He'd be fine. With that said, there's there's so many ways that you could do it. You just need the right story. You just need the right opportunity. Like, like if uh, uh, we were talking about before, if Mox is the first repeat champion, right? There's a great story to tell there. With Mox being the healed champion, who's just like beating people silly left and right, doing kind of what he did before he he took his sabbatical where, you know, just beelines it out to the ring, does his business, gets the hell out and he's done. And that's it. And to a point, it's kind of like uh, uh, Austin in a way where, you know, he had that that run where he, you know, like the shirt said, arrive, raise hell, leave. And that's it. That's what I'm here for. That's what I do, and I'm the best. Bye. And then you have a guy like Eddie who just knows him, and and the two of them mean so much to each other. Uh, but I'm not going to get into like a whole bunch of fantasy booking. The reality is, Eddie Kingston's a really good example of a guy who fits the answer to that question, but doesn't have to, because this is not strictly a sports based program, because your character and persona still does mean so much. Even if he's, you know, the guy you want to see chasing the title instead of holding the title, the opportunity is still there.
1: So to that point, to the Eddie Kingston point, I think another name that fits that bill is someone like CM Punk. I think Eddie Kingston versus CM Punk, there's a story there too of him beating CM Punk to win the world championship. But much to that point, I don't know if CM Punk wins the world championship. And that's crazy to say, considering his history and all that. But there is a long list of names that I think would maybe you'd piss some people off if we went down a list and started rattling off uh, some fan favorites that may never get there. They may never win the big one. Like, I don't know that uh, Sammy Guevara ever gets there or maybe not jungle boy either guys like that without some real change to their characters or momentum or the way they're presented or something like that
0: so you happen to pick two names that i would make big money bets on the opposite so i think that uh sammy here we go we said it last episode that there were going to be some places where we finally disagree and this is Let's definitely go. one of them. i'm 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 very hyped for this so, uh, Sammy Guevara, I think, is the easy one to respond to because I think if Sammy ever wins the AEW World Championship, it's as a heel. There's only so much. I don't think he needs character change. I think he just needs character growth. I think that, you know, he's he's a baby. He's a wrestle baby, really. He's, he's in the, the youth of his career. He's got so much longer to go. He already has this fantastic ability to lose charm and charisma without saying a word. Do his promos need work? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Most people his age or, or or around his age do. Great. But his in-ring work is phenomenal. His ability to make both him and his opponent look great is wonderful. And I, I, I sincerely think he does have that X-Factor. I think he's maybe a sleeper pick, but I, I think he's on his way. For Jungle Boy... Um, I take a completely different approach thinking about Jungle Boy. So the first thing that ever got me going, he might be a world champion one day, was the originally divisive decision by Jim Ross to refer to Jungle Boy as Jungle Boy Jack or Jungle Jack Perry. And there were some people out there who really didn't like it. They felt like it was a disrespect to his character. You know, in the early... Months of AEW, Jr. was very open about disliking things he didn't get or that he thought didn't fit, and he very much was willing to give his two cents, for better or worse, and so, you know, it rubbed some people the wrong way, and the Jack Perry thing was one of them, but he, I forget if it was in an interview or just in a series of tweets or whatever it was, explained how it was something he had cleared with Jungle Boy and proceeded to explain his thought process behind it. Eventually, Jungle Boy will grow up. Eventually, he will not be the lanky, clean-shaven youth of the ring that he is right now. And if you're a 40-year-old gentleman wrestling as Jungle Boy, you will not be taken seriously. And that was the first time that I went, huh. That's a really interesting point and an important one because he's, he's right. And so, unlike with Sammy, who I think just needs time to bake, yeah, Jungle Boy is going to have to go through some character growth. He's going to have to go through some some personal growth. But I think it's, it's there. And I think that especially with how they've been treating him lately, you know, setting up all these things with, like, The Elite and Adam Cole, I think they have a lot of faith in him. And I don't think that there's a championship run in the next five, six, seven years. But a decade from now, Jungle Boy, I think... It, Jungle Jack Perry or whatever he ends up being called will be one of the like big faces of this company. I think he's come a long not, not to say he was bad at the beginning, but I think he's come a long way as far as not just his work rate, but his understanding of how to work in front of a camera has gone. There's been such incredible improvements and his singles opportunities really stand out in that way. Uh, so I, I would take that bet. I would absolutely bet that, both of them have AEW world championships in their future barring some kind of crazy uh you know we we signed uh, uh Roman Reigns to a uh, 10 million dollar year contract like you know what i mean just barring something insane
1: spoilers, a... spoilers. no it's not I, I a spoiler
0: you. it's a pre- it's not a prediction it's a spoiler yeah that's no
1: fine. it's not a spoiler it's a prediction but... <laughs> No, I I get you. I was saying more along the lines of, like, MJF, I think, is a lock. I think I would bet whatever money I had, which is not a lot, that MJF is going to be a world champion. He is going to win the AEW World Championship, barring his contract running out and somebody else dumping more money than Tony Khan is willing to give him. That's the only thing I could see, or some other weird backstage thing happening. He is primed to be that person. He's primed to win the world championship. That's just the thing. We're even talking about him being the next world champion. So yeah, he's there. But for the others, specifically the other pillars, and I'll disregard Britt Baker because she already made it. But specifically for the others, like Sammy and Jungle Boy are the ones where I say, I could see it. I'm a big Jungle Boy fan. I think he's great. I think he has all the tools to make it there but I don't know if he will. The same thing with Sammy. I think he's great. I think he has all the tools to make it there. I don't know if he will, because there are so many other people in AEW now who I think have the tools to make it there. Maybe they've already made it there in another company, but I don't know if they're going to make it here in AEW based on the way the world championship is treated in AEW, where you might go your entire career and have a title match, but never win. So for that, if you ask me to make a bet on Sammy or Jungle Boy, it's not going to be for all the money I have. I will take the bet by all means because I believe in them. But it comes with the, this is not a foregone conclusion for me. I think MJF is a foregone conclusion. For the rest of them, mm, I don't know.
0: So it's funny that you mentioned the four pillars because there's the one we haven't discussed at all who I think is maybe the opposite of everything else we've said about this particular question regarding the championship. That's Darby Allen. So Darby Allen is the kind of guy who, um, you know, much like a lot of these other guys we've talked about, would not make it to the same level he's even just made it to now in some other companies, Right. Darby Allen would never be the impact world champion. Darby Allen would never be the like Ring of Honor world champion. Darby Allen would never be the WWE champion. He would never be the new Japan world champion. Uh, it wouldn't happen. And part of that is, you know, his size, sure, fine. but there's more to it than that. Darby Allen's a bad promo. Darby Allen is very charismatic in his very unique ways, but Darby Allen's a bad promo. He he can't cut live promos, which will change. I'm sure it will change. He's surrounded by a wealth of, of talent and knowledge, and he's gotten better for sure, but he's he's not a great promo. His video packages are phenomenal. They're, you know, not geared towards our particular age range, but they're still very well produced. They very they do a very good job of showing us who he is and and what he is and why he is the way he is. His in-ring style is is kind of the same where it's, you know, we've seen, especially with him in MJF, that he can he can go, man, this 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 guy can wrestle, but that's not what he wants to do. He he wants to do something else. And what he wants to do is this very unique thing that isn't necessarily what you expect to see from your AEW world champion, right? If you look at all the guys who have won it up until now, if you look at the guys we've discussed as potentially champions, guys like, you know, Cody and MJF even, he's so uniquely different from that and kind of even has a, I'd say has a clock, right? More of a clock than anyone else does on how long he can do what he does um, and then the question becomes, does he do what Will Ospreay did and eventually go, okay, I accept that. And so I'm not willing to completely take myself off the clock, but I will modify myself to be more in line with what these main event guys are while still also giving everything I have with an understanding I won't be wrestling when I'm 45 or 50. Or does he keep doing what he does? And regardless, Darby Allen's is going to be the AEW world champion someday. Barring barring some force of nature. Darby, I, I the only person I would bet more on is MJF.
1: Yeah, if if you told me that the line of succession is hangman Adam Page, MJF, Cody Rhodes, Darby Allen. Oh, I'm sorry, I have that backwards. Darby Allen, then Cody Rhodes. Because for some reason I'm still thinking of Cody as a good guy, so I guess he's winning.
0: Well but Isn't he a good guy?
1: Oh, yeah. As long as he doesn't walk down the wrong tunnel. It's yeah. But if you told me that was the line of succession, I would believe you. All the pieces are in place. You have MJF as this dastardly heel who's going to ruin the, the day for the beloved champion. Then you have Darby Allen who comes back and says, hey, Max, I'm the guy who was about to beat you until you cheated and this time you're not going to cheat and I'm going to beat you. And then he finally gets his day and he wins the world title. And then you have Cody Rhodes who has history with Darby Allen coming back and saying, actually, I'll revoke my oath and I'll beat up the little kid and I'll take my championship. Thank you. Bye. And everybody's upset. And I think that makes perfect sense. Will it happen that way? I don't know. Do I think, do I agree with you about Darby? Yeah, totally.
0: But once again, to bring us back to, you know, the basic concept of our topic for for this episode, everything that we just talked about can happen in a way that doesn't involve the world title, still be incredibly meaningful, and still have all of the same payoffs. Which is a really interesting boon for this very specific style of presentation. The other thing that I think ties into this really well is... Looking at how these characters are presented and the things that they can do that they couldn't maybe do elsewhere, right, is looking at a guy like Daniel Bryan and Brian Danielson. These kind of mirror versions of each other, because you can't say they're the same person. They're not.
1: Yes. Much like everything that I've mentioned before. In WWE, you can elevator pitch somebody, and they love doing that. They love giving people taglines. The one that I'll always remember, because it's ridiculous to me, is for Finn Balor. They always tag him with the whole, he's the, the ordinary man who can do extraordinary things, right? Something like that. I said I could remember it, but I'm trying to block it out. Okay, that's supposed to explain to you very quickly who Finn Balor is. Does it do a good job of it? Not really. Daniel Bryan in WWE became the yes movement. That was his thing. It was, here's this underdog who is beloved by everybody, to the point where he can beat pretty much anybody because he has that resilience. That's who Daniel Bryan was. And that's kind of all he was allowed to be. We did see him transition out of that a bit when he became the planet's champion and turned into a heel who got to do a whole bunch more stuff. But I think you could analyze that part of his career in WWE when he came back post-concussions and all and retirement and all of that and see that he was allowed to get away with stuff that not everybody else was allowed to get away with. Now, he is allowed to be the American Dragon again. And that is not a simple thing to explain. But AEW very quickly has established him as somebody who is a force. He is unlike anyone else on the roster, mainly because he is somebody that you cannot beat. Their top people have been unable to defeat him. The best you can hope for in a match with Brian Danielson is to survive him.
0: Yes, uh, it's this, this concept of... Brian Danielson is another person in that conversation about who is the best wrestler in the world. And unfortunately, because of a number of things, some medical and some just as a result of the kind of content he was making where he was, has not really been part of that conversation on a whole for a very long time. But Brian Danielson is one of the best wrestlers in the world. And when he came to AEW, he, and I think we mentioned this too a couple episodes back, where CM Punk was like, man, I can't wait to come in and work with all this young talent and get people over. Brian Danielson went, there is one thing in this world that I care about, and it's having amazing wrestling matches. Let's go. Let's go. Come at me. Let's let's put on these shows. But also, I'm going to kick your fucking head in. And I'm not, that's not rhetoric. I'm not selling t-shirts. I'm not here to make you buy my merch and fall in love with my new catchphrase. I don't care about that. I come out in a white t-shirt because I don't care about that. What I care about is getting in the ring with you and beating you to death. Let's do that. I want to make you pass out. I want to kick the teeth out of your mouth. I want to leave you a broken, bloody mess. And yeah, they have done such a good job so immediately of introducing the major audiences to a character who you may not have ever seen before now. If you didn't follow like Ring of Honor, if you didn't follow PWG, you would never have known that, you know, the S movement guy, the planet's champion was also a guy who just woke up and chose violence every single day of his life. This is what he wants, and he is good enough to get it. So, yeah, you have, you know, his match with Omega, which they fought to a draw. Now you have his match with Hangman, where they fought to a draw, and they're going to have another one. And they have this really interesting situation where they can kind of set up Brian as, uh, like you said, as this force of nature. Maybe maybe you go with something long term, and he's like Kenny's new white whale, right? He's the guy that that only can be put down with the the as you as you've called it before in our conversations, the silver bullet of the one winged angel, the the thing that that does that kills everyone.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you, I mean, you. It's funny enough because you kind of elevator pitched Brian Danielson right there. And a word I'll bring up is redundancy, because you can have. Uh, Anything, anything, take whatever you want where you can have multiple of a thing. If you have one thing, one guy that says, I'm the best wrestler, that's all that matters about me. That's the only character trait I have. I'm the best wrestler. And you bring in somebody else who says, I'm the best wrestler plus one, right? Like I'm a better wrestler than they are, the first guy. Well, you don't need the first guy anymore, right? Because he doesn't need to exist. You have a better wrestler than, than him right there next to him, and he can do something else too. Brian Danielson is the guy who can come in and say, I'm the best wrestler. That's all I do. I'm the best wrestler. I'm going to go out there. You can't beat me, and I can hurt you. I could beat you in a plethora of different ways. It does not really matter. As you just said, he wakes up every day, and he chooses violence. He enjoys it. He enjoys doing what he does. So far, nobody has been able to disprove that. Nobody. He's beaten every single person he's been in the ring with. He's beaten. uh, He's tied with the other guy in the company who goes around being the best bout machine and he tied with the current world champion. What else is there to do? You can't disprove this. And they don't have character traits that say, oh, I'm the best wrestler in the world. That's not their thing. That's not what they do. They don't wake up every day and say that. Kenny has a very extensive relationship with being the best bout machine. What that title means, there's a history there. You can't elevate or pitch that. It's not the same. And Hangman has been on this journey that just culminated with him finally winning the world championship. He's never been looked at as the best wrestler in the world. He had to earn that and he had to fight like hell to get it. And these are guys that are very different from one another and very different from Brian Danielson, who is this very generic character. Is There's not a lot of depth there, but there doesn't need to be because he is the only one who can go out there and get away with that.
0: Well, it's the it's the legitimate heel that we talked about the other week, right? He's he's and he doesn't have to be a heel. One of the yeah,
1: it's it's either way, right?
0: Yeah, one of the upsides I th- I feel like to the, the American Dragon here is he can really he he can jump back and forth wherever he needs to because really it's just about how can I get the best match out of this guy? Oh, is it by beating up all his friends? Okay. I'm gonna beat up all your friends. Let's do that. And then for the next guy, it's, you know, just show him that respect when we get in the ring because that's where we're going with it and that's what's going to make him want to to do his best here. Okay, great. Then that's what I'm going to do. And he can he can really just sort of ride that wave and does such a good job of it uh to to get it there. But this is not the Brian Danielson episode, which we could also spend an hour on, but it does lead into something else interesting. Brian Danielson and his draws, right? AEW doesn't do the DQ finish, really, right? They don't do the the schmaz. They don't do the the dusty. They, they just sort of have an ending because at the end of the day, AEW's kayfabe, is that they are a wrestling company, right? We are watching the show of the wrestling company. So their matches have to have a finish. They are sports oriented. These are still in the kayfabe athletes who are competing to be at the top of these rankings. So you have a company like WWE who's had 60 something, 70 something, DQ, double count out, no contest, KO whatever it is. The number might be a little higher than that, but I know it was that like a month or two ago. And and WWE can do that. WWE can do that. And understandably, some of their fan base will be upset and it's not always the right thing to do and it's a lot more than I would say to do. But there are ways that you can do a bunch of those finishes in cinematic style wrestling and staged storytelling that will not be relevant in two, three, four weeks because of the direction the plot goes. Whereas here... You can't really get away with that. If you start having too many of these questionable finishes or non-finishes, you create a problem of how do I take you seriously as a sports product. So what do we do? Well, we have two options. We give them a finish or we make it a draw. And it is so perfectly in line with what they're doing here. Um, Paul Heyman had had an old thing that he talked about this where he's like, the non-finishes that WWE and WCW also used to do were the motivation for him effectively telling ECW referees you unless one of these guys is hurt you're not allowed to end a match that way. We have to have a winner or we have to send a guy out to choke slam these people and be done with it, right? Like that was the ECW gimmick eventually. But they would never they would try to almost never do the The double count out double DQ both guys are just you know finish because here you losing a match doesn't make you look weaker you losing a match doesn't necessarily kill your momentum because even though we are a sports show even though we are about the athletic contests in the ring the characters are still going to get where they need to go. Um, Kingston Punk is a really good example of that, where, I mean, CM Punk won. Was CM Punk ever not going to win? No. Of course CM Punk's going to win. There's no way that CM Punk, on his, like, return tour, faces a guy like Eddie Kingston, and loses in the match set up the way it was, but Eddie made it clear very early. He didn't give a fuck if he won. He was going to beat the shit out of CM Punk, and he did. He beat the hell out of him. And at the end of that match... He got to be the guy who turned down CM Punk's respect. He got to be the guy who said, Oh yeah, you pinned me. Big fucking whoop. You respect me now. I care even less. And it was great. It was great. Um, so that's that's one of those things that you also really have as a boon creating this product of, you know, that sort of balancing act between sports and, and cinema.
1: And much to that point, there are several things that AEW does that I like a lot. And it plays into that sports feel. They they drop off some of them as they need to. And I, I think COVID impacted several, a decent amount, but they used to track rankings very seriously. Like they would update them every week. They would mention them on TV all the time. They still have them. They still pay attention to them. Much in the way that New Japan would track certain statistics for their championships, AEW track statistics for divisions and every single person on the roster. Now, with dark and elevation, sometimes the records get a little bloated and inflated in certain ways, but that's besides the point. The big thing is, every single time somebody goes out to the ring, that lower third graphic that pops up with their name and all their information on it has their record there. It tells you, hey, this person is 35 and 10 with one draw. And they go out there, and with that record, and right above their name, there's usually a really interesting snippet that somebody picks out for them of, well, they're on a five match win streak, or they're, you know, 10 and two in their last 12 matches, or something like that. Where people who follow sports could look online, they can go and see standings, and usually they track their last five or 10 games to see like well this team's on a hot streak they have a bunch of momentum or wow they haven't won in a while like so if they win this one it's a big deal something like that and the ranking is also included if somebody's ranked over on i think it'd be the left side of tv doesn't really matter it'll have that number one to five so if they're the number one contender in a division it'll show and these are important things because if you don't know everything like every episode could be somebody's first episode so if you don't know you could see that and really quickly you get this idea of okay this person's ranked this person has a hell of an impressive record and here's a little something to know about that it's not everything we can't elevate or pitch all these people we just can't do it it's not possible even with commentary out there and commentary generally does a pretty good job of explaining who these people are, and why this match is important. But those records matter. So when you do have people going out there, a lot of them, their motivation can be very simply, they want to win. A win is important. It goes on the record. Then you can have matches like Kingston and Punk where, yeah, one might care about the wins and losses a bit more than the other one. And the other can look at it and say, like, I don't care if I get tagged with a loss because this means something more. And to your point from before, of with uh, Paige and MJF and Darby and Cody, where you said, okay, all of this can be done without the world title. Well, it kind of has been. We've seen these people mix it up before. We've seen most of those feuds happen. And they faced each other, and the title was not involved, and there was a winner and there was a loser. They played for points, so to speak. Like, they got their wins, they got their losses. It moved them in different trajectories. And that is what AEW does really well about the sports presentation of all of this. They make stuff like that matter.
0: I'm going to drill us for half a second and then we'll get back to it just because I want to give a quick shout out to CM Punk for his phenomenal shirt when they were in Texas. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, wonderful. Just with the, the ovaries and uh, get your own, then tell it what to do. Awesome. And it's, it's so cool to see that. Uh, but you know, back on track. Yes, you're correct, Joe. That is a very good point. <laughs> um, the sports presentation that they've taken on, that they've made such a big part of their their kayfabe, which I'd like to talk about in a minute, has really set them apart as a unique product that feeds into the fandom that they've brought over from New Japan. Um, while also being very accessible to the the American pro wrestling fan who maybe has only watched WWE, maybe like WWE and NXT. And so now you have this show that does, you know, lean a little more towards the other side, but tries to provide you with all the tools you need in order to understand what that means and why we keep saying that though. We keep bringing, well, I keep bringing up at least this whole, like the companies in, in kayfabe, right? And, and, what I'm what I'm talking about when I say that because I, I think it's worth going over because of this product being what it is and it being such a unique thing is something that that did turn off a couple of fans at first right so when AEW was still a t-shirt company right when they first announced AEW and they did like the press conference and they made the announcements they did the the thing that they they fed to the fans was AEW is going to be a company about the wrestling. We are going to be a sports-centric company. Wins and losses are going to matter. Rankings are going to matter. We are going to focus on the in-ring competition. And to a point, that's exactly what they did. But, to another point, they are an American pro wrestling company. And we wouldn't be talking almost exclusively about AEW on this episode if it wasn't for the fact that that was kind of carny talk. They cre—they presented to us the kayfabe concept for AEW. This is the idea of the company. Now, we are watching a show about that wrestling company putting on a wrestling show instead of WWE, where we're watching a show about a show about a wrestling company or New Japan, where we're just watching a wrestling company. uh, And it, at first, rubbed some people the wrong way because they thought they were turning in to see New Japan America, which this was not. Uh, But as it's gone on, it's become this very interesting, unique thing because of that. Because they can use that to, to sort of present the concepts they do to the audience weekly as necessary without... Making it the entirety of their program and bogging down what would draw in the I don't want to say casual fan because I think as a as a whole wrestling has lost casual fandom, but uh, uh while well, also drawing in the American pro wrestling fan. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned to you, and you know it's kind of a crime we didn't talk about them for our cinematic episode, and I'd I'd love to do an episode on them eventually is Lucha Underground, right? Lucha Underground and AEW are two companies that at first glance couldn't be more different from each other, right? You look at the the presentation. And by the way, if you haven't checked out Lucha Underground, I cannot recommend it enough. What an incredibly unique, really, really just awesome take on the idea of cinematic wrestling. Anyway, uh, you look at these two companies and they feel so different off the bat. There's there's so much about them that just doesn't sync up because in reality they're just two places that skewer more towards the opposite sides of the, the spectrum while still maintaining a middle. Where Lucha Underground is sort of the fictional wrestling company, right? These are guys who the show follows these characters and their travails in this fictional underground wrestling company, AEW is the non-fictional version of this. This is the show about the guys who work for an official licensed wrestling company. And it's really interesting to see not just where they're different, but the places where they overlap, right? Where you can have these characters who are, are bigger and louder than you'd see in like New Japan, with very few exceptions, but you can still be guaranteed good matches almost consistently across the board with high-level talent, and where Lucha Underground didn't really do nuance and subtlety, its storylines were loud and very much harkened back to, like, telenovelas. You you have AEW, which is just the opposite. It It's the show about a sports show, and it, it's all about the nuance and the subtlety. And it's very much sport-centric.
1: And part of that is about knowing your audience, right? Who is this for? Where New Japan, it's for people that are tuning in to watch a sport. If the WWE is sports entertainment, it's for people who want to see a show, a, a show about a wrestling show. For Lucha Underground, it's for people who might watch telenovelas but want to see it in a different light. And for AEW, it's for people who have maybe been burned by some of these other products who have looked at it and said, yeah, I want my wrestling to be taken more seriously. I want it to be a wrestling show, not a show about a wrestling show. I don't want that one step removed, which I think you could probably make the argument that NXT fits into that bubble as well, although it's also a developmental thing. So there are hit or miss qualities there.
0: Well, at least NXT 1.0. 2.0, I think we're still kind of finding a ground on and we'll end up leaning a little bit more towards the like wrestling as a stage show that we've seen from WWE the last couple of years.
1: Oh, yeah, that's definitely fair. I I think one of the reasons why that's the case is that NXT 1.0 was allowed some free reign as to what they were allowed to do. So the very green people there were allowed to tinker with their characters. So you could actually see the character growth over time, which made it feel very real. And you get that in AEW, except you get it at a more experienced level.
0: Again, the magic word of the day is organic.
1: Cody Rhodes. And yeah, for Lucha Underground, the comparison to AEW is is there. They seem incredibly different as you said, as you laid it out, but it does go back to who is it for? With AEW, it is we're trying to find that audience. We want the people who feel burned elsewhere. We want them to come over. We want the fans of New Japan to see something. We want the fans of WWE to see something. We want the lapsed fans to see something. Maybe maybe even the people who used to be a fan of WCW And then when WCW got purchased, they said, oh, okay, like, I got nothing. I don't want to watch WWE, so bye. They're looking for those people, and they're looking to make new fans too. So they are trying this out. And I think they've found a nice sweet spot in the middle of a best of both worlds, so to speak.
0: So another thing that I want to talk about before we, we get to that, because there's there's a, a, that's kind of the summation of of everything we've been going over these last few weeks. But while we're talking about the the way that AEW goes about doing its sort of sports feel, um one of the things the at least the one more thing I do want to talk about is um the commentary. The commentary, which I know I know both of us have a lot of thoughts on. So I I will try not to go on for the next 10 minutes about it. But the commentary is such a big part in any wrestling company of whatever their goal is, right? And in a company like WWE, it's about pushing the narrative. It's about pushing the the storyline. It's about reminding you the basic tenets of the characters uh, as they pertain to the story being told right now. And in New Japan, it's about the contests, it's about the matches it's about trying to help you as a fan understand the nuances of who is in the ring and why the match the wrestling matters to them beyond it's a match and you want to win because you're an athlete uh, and AEW kind of has to hit that middle ground
1: running really and I think they do I think they do for the most part. Now, AEW has several different shows with different commentary teams. So I'm going to single out a couple of people where I think I made the list and it was five. Specifically, it's Excalibur, Taz, JR, Shivani, and I'm going to put Jericho on the list, even though he's mixed one because he's still technically active. That's fine. I think those five in particular are talented in specific ways due to their unique experiences. So they can highlight why people are doing things in the ring to achieve specific goals. For instance, winning a match, which is the be all end all of a match in any company. But when you're in a company with the sports field that's trying to say wins and losses matter, winning a match is important. And if you're not trying to win a match, like the Kingston-Punk match where Kingston is on his crusade against Punk, okay, that's also a unique take that the commentary team needs to represent. So Jr. and Shivani are the ones that are more talented when it comes to that storytelling. The idea of here's characters that are doing things and here's why they're doing They can comment on the match. They can comment on the in-ring work. They both have seen so much of it over their careers that, of course, they know it. They get it, right? And you've commented before, there are times in JR's career where JR hasn't always brought it, but when he does, he's the best, by far, bar none. Okay. Then you jump over to Excalibur, who is maybe the most middle of the road of everybody here. This is not to speak ill of Excalibur whatsoever. I just mean... He walks the line in the middle where he is able to do both. He can tell you the story if he needs to. He can comment on the ring work when he needs to. He balances out whoever's sitting next to him, which is why he normally sits with everybody else. He's the one guy out of them who can work with the rest of them. I think evenly, no matter what.
0: And just for a moment, because I, as a as a person who grew up not just with like WWF and WCW and whatever and was like big on the the indie wrestling stuff for a long time it's so great seeing Excalibur getting this sort of opportunity and really crushing it because of exactly what you said he is so good at filling whatever role he needs to fill and at being the connecting bridge from the other guys who are at that table, because of all the names you've gone over, right? You talk, you 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 mentioned Taz, Jr., uh, Tony, and Chris Jericho. The one thing they all have in common is these are guys who have been doing this for a very long time, and they're guys who were introduced and learned and understood the workings of the business in a time where things were very different and on major platforms major platforms for most, if not their entire careers. And then you look at Excalibur, and he has this like dearth of knowledge that comes from his involvement in the independent wrestling scene and the way that he can pick out wrestling history, which is really cool. And he doesn't do it so much anymore, which is fine, because there's so much more to focus on. But you get these really cool situations where sometimes he can just, like, Throw a wrestling fact at you that's relevant to like a move that's happening or about an indie talent in the in, uh, formerly indie talent in the ring, and it's such a unique thing that we don't see anywhere else, which is really great. And then also just like I said, as an as an indie wrestling fan in the early two thousands, man, Excalibur on weekly TV is just so fucking cool.
1: Yeah, and you have jr and shivani who are legends what they do they're veterans then you have jericho and taz who are wrestling in ring veterans and then you have excalibur who's a nerd he's a nerd he's the guy who's like oh i've watched this i've been a part of it i know a whole bunch of things so when you have jr or shivani being like i don't know the name of that move but like i know what it does and excalibur could be like well i know the name of the move i know where it originated i know who did it first. I can tell you where they learned it. I can tell you how long they've been doing it. Cool. I can compliment what you've been saying. Right? And then when you have somebody like Taz or Jericho, who's out there, who have these larger personalities, but they have in a different way unique perspectives on how wrestling matches go, okay, Excalibur flips his, his role. He goes into the oh, okay, well, you guys are talking about what's happening bell to bell now. I can go in and tell you, well, here's where this person came from. Here's why this is important. Here's all of this stuff and fill in the gaps of the story. So he compliments them either way. So I'm generally not a fan of the three-man booth. Growing up on WWF, I had two-man booths of either JR and King or Cole and Taz, Cole and JR at times. Like, that's typically what I saw. So they switch to a three-man booth. WWE does three-man booths now. That I'm not a fan of because it's a lot of talking over one another, redundant personality types, things like that.
0: Well, the other issue I feel like comes from the three-man booth in WWE is again a product, uh, a byproduct of their product because these characters are such characters. You end up inevitably with these characters pushing over each other, and so you just have what sometimes feels like a mad dash to just sort of throw themselves on top of each other, um, and not even not always directly. Like obviously, you've got the like Corey Graves, Michael Cole stuff that that goes on, and then you've got like sometimes uh, uh, maybe not recently, but back in the day, you also had like Booker T on the table, so you'd have like. Booker T, here's this factoid that maybe isn't right. And then Michael Cole being like, uh, maybe this. And then Corey Gridge is like, fuck you, Michael Cole. And then the, the whole thing just sort of devolves.
1: Yeah, because they have to elevator pitch. They have to elevator pitch everything, the entire match, and not just regarding the match, regarding the rest of the show and what's going on on Twitter or social media or his upcoming thing. Maybe there's an ad break. All of this stuff they have to do. And they have to do that in AW2, but not with the elevator pitching because that's done elsewhere. They can just put in snippets. One sentence is enough so they don't have to talk over one another. They can let it breathe. And that's something that JR knows how to do. Shivani knows how to do. And the others, maybe they don't know how to do it as much, but they can play off of one another in respectful ways, in ways that like, They haven't, uh, compared compared to WWE and the way those announced teams work, AW is their saints. They are the most respectful people in the entire planet. And I'm not going to say it's perfect all the time. Obviously, you have moments of Jericho screaming and Taz fumbling words and JR not caring and Shivani being like, I don't know what's going on. And Excalibur being like, oh, God, what am I doing here? It happens, I understand, especially growing pains in the earlier days. But now, the way that they have these things set up, you can watch a match from this week, just as an example, the submission match between Ty Conti and Penelope Ford. And you have Taz on the desk, and he's talking about how they're set up to do a move off the top rope. And he doesn't – it's not that he doesn't understand – he said that he did not foresee this type of circumstance happening in a match like this because it's a submission match. So why would you be on the top rope where you can't win or lose? So it, it doesn't make any sense to be up there. This is high risk for no reason. And he's not saying high risk is bad. He's saying this particular match type does not advocate for that type of maneuver. And so he's saying from an experienced perspective Hey, you, the audience, look at this that you think is cool. Let me tell you why an experienced wrestler may look at this and say, hmm, that might not be a good idea, right? And so if it backfires for one of these people, that might be why.
0: And actually, I've I've really loved Taz sort of returning to the booth for AEW because he, he does do that. And he doesn't do this as much as he used to, but he still does this fairly often where he'll pick out the wrestling in a match, right? He'll he'll explain why a move is done the way it's done. Why did they pop their hips before they, like, toss the person over their shoulder? Or why do they step off of this foot? Or, like, wh- uh, keeping wrist control so that as you put the person over, you can float over right into, like, an arm bar. And uh, so, you know, like with with Ty Conti, I'm a little bit biased because as a uh as a guy who loves judo and did judo for many years of my life, the the judo kaz will always always be like close in my heart. But but Taz has so much knowledge and understanding of very specific pieces of wrestling and does such a good job of sharing those with people where arguably they're unnecessary. You don't need them. They don't even always enhance the matches, but they do. Create this very unique, very special thing you don't really get anywhere else where it feels like a sport. It's the way that you'd see in, like, football when a, a play ends and they're setting up the next play and the commentary will take a minute and run you through why the play worked the way it did and how, how they broke the gap and whatever. Or, or in basketball when they break down, like, defense. Like, these things happen in other sports and you don't really see it in wrestling and here you have Taz sitting down and, you know, giving you that outlook. I really missed, uh, uh I think it was Taz takes, right? It was something like that, where he had a little segment where he would do exactly that, except most of the time he was also throwing shade at people. But I really enjoy that aspect of him on commentary. And Excalibur, like I said, is more, like you said, rather, like you said, is more about the history. But... It It's just, it's a really cool, unique thing that I, I love that they do. And it is another great example of AEW sort of blending together wrestling as a sport and wrestling as a stage show. They have found a way to make their audience part of the show, not by turning them into extras like pure staged cinematic uh, uh Filmed in front of a live studio audience wrestling. but And not by denying them the right to cheer for who they want, but also not by making it strictly an athletic contest. They give you reasons to care about their characters organically and then also provide you with their specific types of talent and enhance them through the cinema style of... Wrestling, ultimately, I think that the so we've we've spent three episodes talking about these different takes on how you can do wrestling, how you can present wrestling as a product. Um, and I mean, they all have their pros. They all have their cons. I wouldn't inherently say any are better than any else. I Although I will say that some are harder to pull off than others. I think for me, the reason that this is such a important topic for us to have spent so much time covering and maybe even to to come back to at some point is wrestling is this really unique, really special thing that isn't like anything else. It's not like TV shows. It's not like sports. It's It's not like stage plays. There's this very different concept that lives in wrestling that presents to you not just actors playing roles that at the end of 2 hours or at the end of a season will walk away until the next time that they're ready to film these are living breathing beings uh whether they be as talent as props as whatever you want to call them they exist 24/7 either through the shows live events Twitter and other social media, um, just them out on the street, you have these, these living things that, that grow and change and don't really have a conclusion or or a beginning because it kind of mimics life. It's just this constantly going shift and change and growth. And what we see in all the differences between stage show wrestling and live wrestling for like live crowd wrestling or whatever you want to call it. Wrestling is a sport. These things in between ring of honor impact, uh, uh whatever you want. Wrestling is for everyone. For a lot of people, they hear wrestling and they think back to, you know, either the nineties or the two thousands and, you know, either it's the, Oh, that ridiculous, uh, nonsense with the penis jokes and the, the, the the TNA and whatever, or they think back to like the greased up dudes throwing each other around. And really, it's such a disservice that is done to the concept of wrestling by simplifying it so much, by resting all of the weight on any one of these kinds of presentations. There's things like uh, Camp Leapfrog or Chikara back in the day, where it it was literally just a comic book as wrestling. You had you had a colony of wrestling ants and a bad guy who sent people back in time. You have stuff like uh, PWG where Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson in the middle of a match could have a thumb wrestling contest and then dance around singing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt or a line of people led by wrestling legend Jushin Thunderliger with their thumbs literally up each other's asses. You could have ring of honor and pure wrestling where it is it is the closest thing you could possibly get to a real like sport presentation where you know you have you have this short time limit and a limited number of rope breaks and it's all about that technique. You have things like New Japan you 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 can fight, go to impact and you'll see demons and and like uh, uh uh man there's so much there's so much and i could spend my entire life trying to explain some of the most amazing parts of wrestling from like the undead wizard to the the nerd who came out to an undertale homage video and then was just the sans to a guy who is pretty much just the wrestling equivalent of a, of a A A-list movie star in Okada and it still wouldn't be enough. Wrestling can give you anything that you want from it as long as you find the right product. And I think that's really what this has been about. And I think that's really cool.
1: The only thing I could possibly add to that is it's storytelling, right? I've said numerous times that, That's what I'm in it for. I enjoy stories. I like reading books. I like watching movies, comic books, totally into it too. Even video games are getting way better at telling these stories. And I appreciate all of them because so many of them are unique, little details, but what it comes down to is you have conflict between characters. You have And that could be as simple as one of them wants to win a match and the other one is standing in their way. And it could jump all the way up to, as you said, demons and fiends and all this stuff, long lost brothers returning and all these crazy soap opera things. Yeah, I I get it. I get it. And I, I love it. And I'm here for it. And I'm interested in it.
0: The last thing I'll say, and then we'll, you know, sign off for this episode is I can confidently say that because of the medium that is wrestling and the way that it portrays all these things and just the long-term investment you can put in it I have had more emotional moments in wrestling be they happy or angry or sad than in any other form of media and I'm I'm not the guy who cries over everything or whatever but you know there are definitely times throughout history that I've watched read, played something, and it's it's hit me. But few things can get from me the kind of emotional reaction that, you know, watching The Undertaker retire, Shawn Michaels gets, or that one time when we were all sitting at my apartment and we watched what, at the time, we believed to be the last time we'd ever see The Undertaker, or... Hangman Adam Page winning the championship. And there are so many. There are so many moments that are just these passionate payoffs and mean so much. That's why I love wrestling, and especially why I appreciate AEW for bringing back something that I didn't think I'd ever get again. With that... Uh, I think that's going to probably do it for tonight. We're going to be taking the next two weeks off for Christmas and the new year, but we'll be back January 10th, rested, rejuvenated, and ready to have some more wrestling conversations. Until then, uh, thank you so much for listening and caring enough about us and the sport of wrestling to hear what we have to say. The sometimes sport of wrestling to hear what we have to say.
1: Have a happy holidays, everyone, and enjoy day one and Wrestle Kingdom,
0: which will be the topic that we come back to, which is very exciting, very excited for Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, But for now, don't forget to give us a like, to comment, share, subscribe. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and YouTube.